Our scripture reading this morning comes from Numbers 22, but before we get into that, let me give you a little bit of background information. Since we last saw the Israelites, they have reached occupied lands and they have won battle after battle. They eventually come to a land called Moab, but the Moabite king, Balak, is understandably threatened. He needs more than just a good military to defend his land and his people. He really needs someone to get the to get either God or the gods on his side. Now the unusual and interesting part of the story of Balaam is uh, coming up. It's what I'm about to read to you. And pastors Bob and Paul are gonna tell you more about the story. But for right now, the most important thing you need to know before you hear it is that the Lord has told Balaam very clearly, do not cooperate with King Balak. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in its hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, "'What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times?' Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Arnon border, the edge of the territory. Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Well, I have come to you now, Balaam replied. But I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, we're fortunate that maybe almost two decades ago, we were introduced to this man named Shrek, who had a talking donkey 
And that was important because had we not, this story might seem so much stranger. And the fact that the donkey spoke in the voice of Eddie Murphy made it even more plausible. And we loved it. And so we got this vision in your head. And if you haven't seen Shrek, you know, just go on YouTube this afternoon. You can watch two minutes of Shrek and donkey talking. And that's probably all you need of it. But this story is one of these stories in the Bible where I think often atheists and skeptics just jump right to this story. And they go, yeah, uh, tell me more about this book you have with talking donkeys in it, you know, come on. And really at its core, the response to that is, if God is God, if God is Lord, if Yahweh is truly sovereign, then what's so surprising about him enabling a donkey to talk if he is truly God? And at its core, the sovereignty of God is where the story goes. And so if we're going to, Amy kind of caught you up a little bit, I'm going to kind of give you the the encapsulated version of the story so you can follow along, and and Bob just has a very powerful application for it. But this story starts back in chapter 21. The Israelites have just had several now kind of incredible military victories over the Amorites. And there are vast numbers of the Israelites. And so you can imagine they've come now here to the edge of the kingdom of Moab. And the kingdom of Moab is reigned over by King Balak. And Balak is up in the mountains of Moab looking down onto the plains where the Israelites cover. I don't know if you've seen like, you know, Dances with Wolves when they look out and you just see all the buffalo, you know, all over. Well, you can imagine you being here on the side of a mountain looking out and seeing all the Israelites. And so he becomes very afraid. He shouldn't have been. If he had just either consulted with God himself or even gone down to make a parley with Moses, he would have known that in Deuteronomy 2.9, God comes to Moses and says, Do not go into the land of the Moabites. They are your relatives. They are relatives of your, of your cousin Lot. Don't go down there. Don't do anything to them. Just pass through their land. But Balak instead has other, other things that he wants to do. And so he summons a dark sorcerer. Now, I think most of the time when we think about Balaam, all we connect him with is the talking donkey. We go, oh, yeah, that was that guy that was trying to do that thing. And then God sent the donkey to talk to him. And that's the story. That's about what we know of it. But Balaam is not a good man. Balaam is not a tragic figure. Balaam in the scriptures is referred to as an evil person of darkness throughout not only in the Bible, but in extra-biblical material. So if you didn't think that Balaam, if you kind of just thought he shows up right here, Balaam actually shows up in Numbers 21, 22, 23, 24, and 30 run. He shows up in the book of Deuteronomy. He shows up in Joshua. Now, this is not him showing up, but him being referred to as a person who is evil. He is referred to in Nehemiah. He's referred to in Micah. He's referred to in Second Peter. He's referred to in Jude, and he's referred to in Revelation. So this happening, what goes on is probably a lot more significant than we often give it credit for and we kind of just oh yeah that's how the, 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 the donkey talked to Balaam he was an evil person who had something that he was going to do that was a little more significant than just have a donkey talk to him because he was going to go quote-unquote curse the Israelites so Balak sends a delegation a small albeit delegation to Balaam to say Balaam I need you to come curse these Israelites so Balaam says well and, and in this text he says I'll I'll, I'll, I'll call up the God of the Israelites, just like I call up, you know, those who worship Baal or Chemosh or Molech or Asherah. I'll see what he has to say, and then I'll come, I'll come curse him. And it's really this idea of, like, I'm on the inside with all of these deities. I can do something. Except for, instead, in the night, the Lord takes the onus upon himself and comes to Balaam and says, you will not go curse these people. 
They are my people. They are blessed and highly favored by me. And so the next morning, he goes to Balaam, goes to the delegation and says, I can't go with you. I, I can't go. So they go back to Balak and give him the bad news. And Balak this time sends a greater of, you know, posterity and, you know, maybe some more important men to Balaam and says, hey, listen, Balaam, don't hesitate to ask me for whatever you want to in my kingdom. Just come and curse these people. Balaam wants to go. In the text, the, 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 the way that the Hebrew is slanted is that he says, you know, I, I can't go this second time. But it's kind of like when you, your friends call you and your mom's in the room. And they say, hey, we're going to go egg old lady Crawford's house. You want to come? You really want to go, but you say no just because. But you really want to. And so he tells them, he says, listen, I can't go with you, but why don't you stay the night and I'll see what God says. You know, this is kind of like the 20th time you've asked your dad for a BB gun when you're seven and he says no. And you go, I'll ask him again tomorrow to see if, you know, the, the coffee has a different effect on him in the morning. Well, in the night, the Lord appears to Balaam again and says, if the men come to you, then go with them. But if not, stay. Well, Balaam, again, the next morning shows his hand because he does not wait for the men to come to them. He goes out to pursue them with the intention now of, I can't wait to get paid and go curse these Israelites. So he refuses again, shows his, shows his hand, shows that he is an evil person and goes to go curse the Israelites. So he saddles his donkey and he has some of the uh, officials of Balak with him. And on his way, the angel of the Lord appears. The angel of the Lord appears with a drawn sword and then three times blocks their way, to which the first time the donkey bolts out the path, the second time crushes him into a wall, the third time the donkey, she, just lies down on the ground, just lays down on the ground. And as she lays down on the ground, Balaam beats her every time. And then, crazily enough, it says there in verse 28, then the, Lord, then the Lord caused the donkey to speak. And the funny thing is, is she speaks to Balaam and he just responds back to it like he was expecting her to speak. There's no like, I can't believe you're speaking or what are you doing? Is Eddie Murphy, is that you in there? None of that. He just speaks back to the donkey. But she says, have I not been your donkey all along? Have I not done any? Have I ever done anything like this before? Long story short, the Lord opens Balaam's eyes, which is incredible because if you think about what has gone on here, God has closed the mouth of a prophet and opened the mouth of a donkey. And he has opened the eyes of a donkey and closed the eyes of a prophet. So one who is supposed to be a seer, one who is supposed to see all these things, cannot, but the donkey can. To make a long story short, they get to Balak finally, and God says, you know, you can go, but say only what I've said. And so when they get to Balak, he says, Balak, I'm here. Of course, Balak said, what took you so long? I sent right away. He said, look, I'm here. I can say only what the Lord has laid upon my heart to say. And so Balak leads him up to the high places where they worship Baal. And in the high places where they worship Baal, he says, all right, I'm going to do these sacrifices, Balaam. And while I'm here worshiping my deity, you will call upon Yahweh and you will curse the Israelites. But three times, instead inspired by God because he cannot curse his people, Balaam utters a blessing over these people. And there's power in these words, not necessarily that it's Balaam's power, but it's God's word. That's why we sang this morning, speak, O Jesus, speak life. Your word is life. And he speaks this incredible blessing to say, these people are my people. They have favor. I am with them. And when you think about the fact that just a chapter ago, he was so frustrated that he was sending snakes among them to be a plague, we see still that God can discipline, but have this incredible heart of love. 
And so when we think to ourselves, what is the point of this story? Why is it so important? Why is it in here? Bob's kind of got a very important one, especially for what's going to go on here on this incredible Tuesday that's coming up. Yeah, Paul texted me yesterday and he said, I'm kind of struggling with what to do with application for this uh, text. And I said, oh, it's easy. I'm going to tell him how to vote. So, yes, I'm going to tell you how to vote today. That's my application of this text. But before I get there, I have to tell you that um, uh, I was tempted a number of different times in writing the sermon to use a synonym for donkey that a number of people told me I should not use in church. It would be crass, if you know what I mean. So I decided not to do that. I'm not going to use that word. But I did write a poem that was based on this story that sort of summarizes it. And here's my poem about this story. Balak sees the mass who want to trespass. He sends out the brass arriving with class. Balaam's donkey, donkey is sass in God's hourglass. Alas, it's an angel impasse. He's a snake in the grass with no past to harass. He's an asinine fool, so don't curse, only blast. You're welcome. Now, I'm not much of a poet, but I wanted to make sure you get the point of this story because the point of this story is that Balaam is the wonky donkey. Balaam is more donkey than the beast is in this story. He's the one who's stubborn. He's the one who doesn't have anything to say unless God literally puts words into his mouth. He doesn't have any spiritual insight or powers as his reputation might make it seem. Whatever truth he conveys, he can only do it when God literally takes over his body. Bailey is the wonky donkey in this story. So what's the point of this story in the book of Numbers? In its context... There's really two points, because honestly, if you remove these three chapters from the book of Numbers, other than the fact that, as Paul said, there are repeated references to it throughout the rest of the Bible, you really wouldn't miss it. It seems to almost interrupt the flow of the story. Moses is never mentioned here. The Israelites are only mentioned when we're talking about them. We're not talking about what they're doing at this point. As far as we know, especially in this moment, they never know this whole story about Balaam and the donkey and the uh, desire of Balak to curse uh, instead of to bless. So what's the point? First of all, we learn in the story how this generation of Israelites was introduced to their new signature sin. Next week, we're going to preach on a very sort of troubling in some ways, difficult story about that follows this one as the children of Israel descend into sexual immorality and idolatry, adopting the ways of the pagan nations around them before they even get in the land. And Balaam is the one who is credited or blamed for leading them into those sins. All right, so we know how their signature sin went from complaining or grumbling to sexual immorality and idolatrous worship because of the presence of this man, Balaam. The second reason this story is in here is because we know through this story that God's purpose for his people cannot be altered by enemies that are seen or unseen. There are a million ways to derail the intentions of human beings. There are zero ways to derail the plan of God. 
There are a million ways to derail the intentions of human beings. There are zero ways to derail the plan of God. So believe it or not, I find from this story some great lessons on how to vote. First of all, vote with passion. After you've reflected on the way these nations operated and how they go find a pagan soothsayer to try to guide their nation or try to help their nation, aren't you glad that whatever has fueled your passion, and there are lots of things that have fueled people's passions in America this year, aren't you glad that our response is we go click a ballot and decide who we want to lead our country? There are a lot of other ways in which countries are led, and we've seen some horrible examples of them here in the book of Numbers, but our way, by the providence of God, by the wisdom of our founding fathers, is to go vote. So whoever you're going to vote for, take all of your passion there and vote with passion. So I've had a little bit of advice about, you know, exactly what to say and not to say. And one of the pieces of advice reminded me of a, the, the most, one of the most memorable sermons I've ever heard. The sermon was actually about Jacob. It was back when I was in Bible college. And you remember Jacob's kind of summary story is that he's a deceiver, Jacob the deceiver. And this large African-American preacher stood up in the chapel at Columbia Bible College and he said, if God could use Jacob, he can use anybody. And somebody texted me a week or so ago and said, I know what you should do with the Balaam story. You should put out on the church sign, vote for, and I'm not going to tell you what candidate the person suggested. You can take your guess if you want. Vote for, put a name there. It's not the first time God has used an, only he used the other word for donkey, all right? So I didn't take that bait, but I do get it. People are passionate about this, and I think believers should absolutely investigate all of the moral and spiritual and biblical issues that are important to you and take them to the poll booth and vote with passion. The second way that this scripture teaches us is to vote with prayer. As believers, we have the privilege and responsibility to cast that vote with a sense that God's arm is around our shoulders. God is overlooking us as we vote. That's not in the sense of, if you, click the, if you take your Q-tip and put it on the wrong name there, I'm really going to get you come judgment day. It's more of the sense of God is right there with us. He's walking with us. He's giving us individually and collectively some direction as we vote. And we should absolutely vote with prayer. The reason we vote with prayer is that prayer is ultimately an act of humility. It is an act of saying, God, I really don't see the larger picture that you see, but I am trusting you. The point is that prayer is also about confession. Prayer is saying, Lord, I see all, some of these candidates and they seem to me so self-absorbed and they seem to me so driven by perhaps financial motives and they seem to have allies that are in the dark world and God, I don't trust them. But when I look at my own heart and life, I realize that other people see that in me and that there are parts of my life that you are refining as well. So therefore, prayer is confession. It's just saying, God, we're all wounded and broken. We're trying to figure this together as a nation, as a people, and I want to acknowledge that it's about me as well. Prayer is about dependence also. And so when you come into the uh, election booth, it's not saying, God, I know what you're supposed to do about this election. It, prayer isn't about informing God. It's about releasing control to God. It's actually about letting go of outcomes and saying, God, I'm going to do what I know to do, but I'm going to trust you because you're God. So vote with prayer. And then finally, vote with peace. 
Every single study in our book of Numbers, we have closed blessing from Numbers chapter 6, and we're going to do it again today. And the blessing starts out what? The Lord bless you and keep you, and it ends where? And give you peace. The peace in this story is that even with all of their seen and unseen enemies, no animal, no pagan mystic, no fearful king could thwart God's intentions to bless his people. God had said to Abraham, those, uh, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. And this is one of the places in the Old Testament development of this story where we see that coming through so vividly. There are a number of biblical postmortems to this story, and maybe my favorite one is the one I put on the top left of your bulletin. So if you want to take a minute, and you can take that with you as long as you leave your name somewhere else with us. But I just love this phrase that, uh, that Moses says probably just a year or so after this when he's talking to people about this incident. And he says, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. You know, one of the, uh, the, the parallel verse in the New Testament, one of the best known verses in the New Testament is Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. When the apostle Paul says to those who have been redeemed by God through Jesus Christ, and he says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And one of the things that he says that can never separate us from God's love is any powers. There are no powers on earth or in the unseen world that can separate us from God's love when we are in Christ Jesus. Let me just look at you very bluntly and tell you I know people all across the spectrum are very anxious about what's going to happen on Tuesday. I'm just going to tell you God isn't. God's not going, oh, man, I hope the right guy wins, because if the wrong guy wins, I don't know what I'm going to do next. God is not anxious at all about this. There's a much larger picture, and we entrust ourselves not to any political powers or names. We entrust ourselves to God. And let me tell you, believer to believer, shepherd to sheep, There's no reason for anyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ to be anxious about what happens in a political election. We find our peace not in this world. We find our peace in who we are in Jesus Christ. So when you vote, vote with passion. Vote with prayer. But please vote with peace. Told you I'd tell you how to vote. Let's pray. Our Father, your goodness astounds us. Your faithfulness compels us afresh to trust you. The stories of how you have worked in and through remarkable and surprising characters, even non-human characters, still encourage us to trust in a faithful and good God. We look to you for this week. We look to you for our nation. We look to you for the protection of our candidates, for the protection of those who vote and the voting process. We look to you and trust you regardless of what the outcomes are, for you are God. We ask your protection over the rally that happens in our own town today 
and we ask your protection in all ways for those who are exposed to the coronavirus in these days. We ask for healthcare workers, those who are most vulnerable at this and other times, and we ask your blessing upon our nation. We love you and thank you that we're yours. It is our greatest passion to serve you and to be known as your followers, and we pray you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen.